Kyora ko Debbie Tokuingawa. I'm Debbie Clark. Kyora ko Josie Tokuingawa. I'm Josie Major. Welcome back to the Good Awaits podcast. What a great conversation we have got for you today, listeners. Uh, the second part of our focus on the destination management planning process that's happening in Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, following on from our last episode, which had more of a national perspective. Today, we drill down to two of the regions uh, at different ends of the country. So we're excited to bring you those voices. Uh, Tim Bark from Wanaka in the South Island and Tanya Burt from Northland at the top of the North Island. Yeah, it's really great to be able to do two episodes around the same kind of theme of destination management planning and to go from this national level conversation that we had with Kitty and Susan about the process itself and why it's different and what's happening across the entire country. And now to sort of dive down to this place-based idea and as we know, uh, regenerative work needs to happen at a place-based level. So it's great to explore what's happening in these two particular places and to hear from from these leaders about how they're putting these uh, principles into practice. So the first half of this episode, we talked to Tim Bark. Tim is the general manager for Lake Wanaka Tourism, one of our regional tourism organizations in New Zealand. Tim's career has primarily been focused on tourism, spanning 30 years uh, and over four countries. He's originally from the Bay of Island, uh, a Northlander, and began scuba diving and fishing and went on to run a variety of businesses, largely around adventure tourism. Tim's got a, a really strong interest in conservation, climate change, and Maturanga and Te Ao Māori, traditional uh, Māori knowledge. He's also interested in innovation and regenerative industry uh, and working in a way that allows industries to benefit communities and places that they live and operate in. As well as being the manager of Lake Wanaka Tourism, he also chairs the Otago Conservation Board. Tim is very... Uh, fluent in this this sort of regenerative language and we really enjoyed speaking with him because he has this ability to take the the real experience of of Wanaka and, and the community engagement process that they've been going through there and to apply it to this this regenerative way of working and to really connect the dots. So I think that I hope that listeners will find a lot of value uh, in his his storytelling. So we started off by asking Tim to give us an overview of the destination management planning process that they've been going through in Wanaka. Yeah, sure. Um, well, it kind of all started when I took on the role of, of um, general manager at Lake, at, uh, Lake Wanaka Tourism. They I got asked the same questions repeatedly by a number of reporters that were doing interviews and they kept asking me what my vision for Wanaka was. And as I said to them, I thought about it a bit and as I said to them, well, it's not really my vision for Wanaka that's important, is what does Wanaka want for Wanaka? And from there, I talked with our team and, and our members and we decided to go out and actually ask those questions of our communities. So, there was a, a really brief list of questions we asked. One was, what do you love about this place? What connects you here? Um, if you're from somewhere else and came and moved here, what drew you here and, and what's kept you? If you've, uh, if you were born and bred here, then, you know, what do you love about it? And what's, why have you not moved away? Or, you know, what is it that binds you to this place? What's your connection? 
The next one was, what are the, what are your taonga or taoka? What are the things that are most precious to you in your life and relating to this place, especially? And they could be feelings. They could be places. They could be objects. They could be relationships. Um, any number of things. So we asked that question. And then the third main one was, what would you like the future to look like for your great, 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 great grandchildren? So rather than um, looking at what are we going to do this year or next year, what are we going to pass on to our future generations? And thinking about those questions we asked you before, what, how do you think your great, great, great grandchildren would respond to those questions? And would they have similar responses to you or would they be different? And likely there will be some things which are really similar because we tend to pass on our values down to our, our kids. So the next step was how do we utilize the visitor industry, which is just one of our industries. Um, so how do we utilize actually all of our industries, but starting with tourism to deliver that future? And we went out to all sectors, as many sectors of the community that we could get to, from community groups to school kids to um, um, clubs to individuals and businesses and members and asked all of those questions and gathered a bunch of feedback. And what what we got was the response was really interesting because a lot of them found it really difficult to describe what they love about this place, but often they would go like this. It's just a feeling. And when we talked to um, local Māori people and um, how they described it, and they they described it as the, the mana and the wairua and the Māori of the place. So, and it's, it's often I've found throughout my life is there's... So, Often things we, we struggle to, to describe, um, can be described in Te Reo Māori mm. <laughs> better sometimes. But uh, there, there was that really common theme. And the same with the, the kids. There, there were things that, that their parents told them that they did, like, you know, jumping off a bridge or swimming in a, a certain water hole. And they taught them that. And they want them to te- be able to teach their kids that. Um, and protecting all of those those feelings and connections and places. So we, we did the, a brand repositioning, we called it, for Lake Wanaka Tourism and incorporated all of that feedback that we got. And when I say brand repositioning, it's not specifically about a logo. It's it's about who are we, what is our role, what's our purpose, um, what's the kaupapa that we work under, and are we where do we fit within our community and within our our culture locally and our business community as well. Um, and we learned a, a hell of a lot. So out of it came our repositioned Lake Wanaka Tourism, which is really to, and this was coming from our community, they wanted us to put the community and the values of the community and the place and the ecosystems that we live in and work in at the center of what we do. And we talked about it, you know, doing the same with um, other industries, which I, I think is awesome. So rather than asking the question, um, how do I, how do I do the best thing for my business? We still 
businesses still ask that question, but we've also asked them to, alongside that, think, out of the, the decisions that I make, how will they affect the people around me, the environment we live in, our community? And if you're thinking about your business from the long, you know, long-term perspective, it, we all recognize that for there to be a long-term perspective for businesses or industries, the ecosystems we live in have to be thriving and the community has to be thriving. And for the visitor economy, we need to be, the community needs to feel the benefits of hosting visitors and welcoming them. So that was actually, um, our, our sort of initial part of the journey. And then the government announced the funding for destination management um, and destination management planning as part of the STAP funding and um, the restart and recovery funding. So that was a perfect opportunity. We'd, we'd already learned quite a bit about ourselves in our role. So we're right next door and we're in the same district as Queenstown Lakes, um, as sorry, destination Queenstown and obviously Queenstown Lakes District Council. So we thought, well, imagine if we've learned this and we could create benefit here, why not share that with those around us and let's work together to create a wider picture approach. And so we got together with Destination Queenstown and Queenstown Lakes District Council and um, shared what we'd been doing, but also talked about you know new ideas and collaborative ideas of of how we could work together to create a region-wide or district-wide plan. And we also um, talked to Naitahu and the Department of Conservation and thought it would be really great to get their ideas and input as well as um, to be, because they all, we all have a key, com, a key components of, of this, this mahi and where it needs to go. So when we, after we started that collaboration, we, we created this wireframe of what we thought was going to need to go into this destination management plan. Um, we contracted a company called Proxima at that point to help us flesh it out and into a, a more full plan. We also um, got Destination Think involved, which, as you know, is a, a worldwide destination management um, planning specialist. And um, Anna Pollock, we got um, her involved as a, as a peer reviewer. And we've worked over the last 18 months to basically build what was a wireframe into um, what we're now calling a strategy as opposed to a plan because the the plan can take connotations of being a document that sits on a shelf um, whereas the strategy is this is this is how we're going to put it together because the focus is needs and needs to be on what are the outcomes of this work what are the actual tangible things that are going to make the difference to our place so we, we repeated the process that we'd done in Wanaka and did it again through again through Wanaka, but also throughout the whole of Queenstown Lakes District, and had a number of different um, workshops and planning sessions with our communities and again community groups, school kids, older people, um, as many different corners of the community as we could get it, get to, and of course our members and and businesses, and um, gathered all of that feedback and distilled that down into. Um, not just, well, we had the, 
the purpose and the values and the goals and objectives, but then down into what are the initiatives and ideas for initiatives coming from the community that we can then lean into and help facilitate getting them underway. Um, our draft plan has uh, only recently come out for to the we've put it back out to the community to come in for comment. Um, and there was a I haven't I should have got the numbers in front of me, but there was around about from memory six hundred and something people had um, read it, and there were I think thirty three written responses. Um, and we've we're at that process now of we're going through those responses and what we've heard from other people and refining it. And Kaitahu is still working on a bunch of um, stuff that, that they'd like to be included, so we're still waiting for that to come through from them. But um, So it's a work in progress. Thanks for that, Tim, and it's, it's great to hear the, the whole process summarised like that because I know a huge amount of work is behind all of that. And I guess... Um, it would be interesting to know what in particular is different about the process you've taken with this particular strategy uh, as opposed to previous plans or strategies that have been created and and also kind of what the potential is you to see for working in this way because it is a different way of working, right? And so what's the, what's the potential you see for, for tourism but also for your community as well? Yeah, the, I guess the, to answer the first part of the question, what's different about it, the process to what we've done in the past um, the biggest differences are in the past, plans were developed within the organization and within the membership. So we would test the ideas with our membership, which are the businesses, um, and develop the plans and then implement them. So the biggest difference is we kind of flipped it on its head. So previously plans were developed and then if we got feedback from the community, then we would respond to that feedback and, you know, maybe, um, try and help resolve any issues or complaints people might have. As you know, over time, the, the communities have felt more and more impact, um, but haven't been involved in the planning process. So we, that was where we decided to flip it on its head and start with the community and then bring the, the membership and the businesses in as part of that with the community because they're, they're members of the community as well, as are we. And if we can start that with the, the co-papa of not just creating economic benefit, but what are all the other benefits that we can create? Um, and looking at not only what are the, the KPIs being the number of bed nights and the financial input into the economy, but what are the, what are the other things that we need to be measuring? Like, how do people feel about, you know, um, having visitors come? What are the effect the visitors feel like? Do they feel welcomed? What are the ways that we can help change that approach? And um, so the, the other big difference that leads into is the approach of how we're going about our marketing and what would previously be sales and marketing, um, which was more a open the gates and spread the word as far as we could to get as many people as possible to come and visit us. And that was a measure of success. Now we're trying to understand and then articulate all of the answers to all of those questions that we asked our communities. So who are we? These, this is who we are. These are the things that we love to do. These are, these are, um, this is what we value about our place. And 
trying to, and so we're creating a lot of content telling those stories and all the really cool stuff that people are doing to benefit the place because this this stuff has been going on for ages, but we've never really recognized it or celebrated it. So those are the stories that we're telling rather than just there are some really good scenic photo spots and come in, you know, take some snaps and then give us all your money and then bugger off. Um, I'm probably not supposed to swear on here. Um, the the um, uh, So, yeah, that change in approach means that we want to attract the people that that resonates with. So the people who want to make a connection themselves. And if we can do that, then they can become part of our community while they're here. And if they've got a connection, then they build a strong connection with the place and, and the people, then they'll revisit that connection and they'll have a better understanding of who we are. So therefore, how we expect them to behave while they're here and what, what is going to benefit us and what we would enjoy rather than coming in blind and not knowing you know, what's expected and what's not. And I, I often use the analogy... Um, when you go to a mud eye, you don't just bowl on in and um, sit down in the Farinui and you know help yourself to a cup of tea. You you build a relationship with the people of the land before you arrive, and then that is cemented through dialogue and continuing to build that relationship and understand each other's objectives before you are welcomed onto the land. Once you're welcomed onto the land, then you learn more about each other and you, you know, build those um, verbal relationships and understandings. And then so you arrive as manuhiri or visitors, but then you leave as whānau, whānui because you've created a bond and a connection. And that's a, a, a valuable thing that you can revisit in the future. So we're trying to approach tourism in the same kind of way so that it's, it's not just selling products. What we're trying to build is is relationships and connections, so that we can invite people who really want to be part of this place as well. Um, the the only other part is a really critical one, and that is recognizing and um, and with totoko and and recognizing the mana of the the landscapes here. And the, and the whakapapa of history that has got us to where we are now and the, the stories behind that, which is, is especially, um, relating to pre, um, European settlement and Kaitahu and Ngati Hawe and Ngati Mamoe, the various tribes that have, have populated this place over the, over the generations and, and, and still do. And, um, and then the, the, the more recent layers of, of that whakapapa where we've got the, you know, the, the agricultural gold mining exploring history, um, and then, and the merging of peoples. Um, but it's, it's just really, really important. Part of, part of that regeneration is providing the opportunities for the correct stories and accurate stories to be told that are authorized to be told by people who, who, uh, have been authorized to tell them. And it's often in tourism, we jump into telling stories because we've heard it from somewhere and we don't always get it right. And sometimes we tell stories which, which aren't our stories to tell. And um, so it's 
But what tourism, the visitor industry can do is we can create the opportunities for if there are stories that, that mana whenua and tangata whenua and iwi want told, then we can create opportunities to help them tell those stories um, and make sure that they're accurate. So that that's a really key thing that I think any place um, in Aotearoa, but indigenous peoples throughout the world, it's it's something that has been neglected and um, inadvertently abused or sometimes deliberately abused, but most people don't mean to create harm, but it's stuff that we need to recognise how we can help, not not take advantage of, of something that's not ours to take. Yeah, thanks for adding that. That's, that's a really important point. And I think when we talk about, you know, tourism's role as, as storytellers and, and even when you're talking about innovations within your community and how tourism can, can help to be the storyteller for some of those things. And, and it's so important to, to think about that in the context of, of, um, particularly Indigenous peoples, but in general of, of what about, what are our mm. stories to tell and how can we uplift those that, that whose voices don't necessarily always get included in the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, that. That's right. You know, based on our understanding of the concept of regeneration and, and regenerative tourism, which is being talked about a lot around the world now, um, you know, we understand that for anything to be regenerative, it has to be alive. Mm. So can you give us your understanding of how the destination management planning process or, or strategy, as you're calling it, how can that be alive? How can, how can this process of how yeah. can going through this process really add capability to the living systems that you're, you're part of? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, um, but a really important one because the, the, the strategy itself has to remain alive. It's, which means it's an iterative process. So we'll be learning as we go. We'll try things and that'll update our strategy as to how we approach, you know, things moving forward. So, um, as you know, the, the Whakatauki, um, Kamua Kamuri, Kamuri, so looking backwards, walking forwards into the future. So learning from the process and what we've been going through and the past and the people who have gone before us and implementing that knowledge with what we learn on the path as we move into the future. So that part of it is living, but we also, um, we're all part of an ecosystem, literally a, a, you know, biological ecosystem, but not just biological. We're part of the ecosystem are our landscapes. And, you know, we talked about the, the modi of, of the place and landscapes and the, and the, the life force within them. All of that is really, really important. So when we talk about regenerative, basically, what we're trying to do is have a system that, that's thriving and continually improving and re- regenerating where it was maybe previously damaged. Um, and if we can continue to do that and looking after our people and, and to tie our, you know, our living systems and natural systems, our waterways, um, it all connects and it, it's the environment we live in. So if we can utilize our industries to help enhance those, and continually grow them and grow in a positive way as in um, help them be healthy and continue to, to grow healthily, then 
we will have, you know, we'll be on the right path, but it's never going to be a, okay, now we've done it. We're all done and dusted. It's, it's, it's a change in, um, the way we do things moving forward. It's, it's not just a, a project that we're going to have done. Yeah. I like how you, um, I like how you reframed the word grow there because I think sometimes we talk about, you know, growth has become this sort of, uh, thing in tourism and, and I, I imagine this is a lot of conversations about this in, in the Queenstown Lakes district is this sort of previous model of just growth above all else in terms of more heads on beds and higher visitor numbers and that. But in, in what you just said about if it's about growing the health of the systems, that's, that's a, that's a nice, um, reframe of, of aiming for growth, I think. That's, um, and growing our understanding and learning. And mm. that's all part of as we evolve. Mm. Yeah. We wanted to ask you about, um, about measurement because you mentioned briefly about, about KPIs. And, um, I know that this is a, a challenge that, uh, many regions are facing and going through this destination management planning process is how do we measure a regenerative approach to tourism? How do we report on that? And how do we show that we're being successful? So, could you share any thoughts you have around this around this measurement piece and and perhaps what what you're doing in, in Wanaka with this? Yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned previously, the, the primary measures of of or KPIs were bed nights and economic input into the economy. Um, there were some other measures like employment numbers um, which come into it, but one of the things. So, as I say, the, the, one of the key things that we need to understand moving forward is what is the health of our community and our place? How do we measure those things? And the, the sentiment of the people who live here is only one component of that. It's, um, it's also literally how, how healthy are we? Are the things that we're doing helping our population be healthy? Are we creating, you know, businesses and business opportunities which help get people moving and active? So, you know, cycling is an example where that's helping the population, um, get more mobile and, and, and be more healthy. My auntie and uncle who are well into their eighties, um, came and saw me not so long ago and they were complete with their, um, their e-bikes. And it's the first time I've even known them to, to show any interest in cycling whatsoever. And they were loving it. They, you know, um, but there's also how do we, we talked about what, what are the positive and negative impacts? So we, and we need to be aware of them and to measure those so that we can manage them. But some of those impacts are things that are really positive. So it's working together with not just you know, looking at it as a tourism industry, we're part of a much bigger ecosystem where there are other industries who we can benefit and can benefit us. So here, for example, in Wanaka, uh, we have a, a really strong primary industries, um, you know, agricultural industry who are working really hard on new ways of and new innovations to be able to work better and work in a, 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 I was going to say more sustainable way, but sustainability is just not making it any worse. 
it's they're trying to to find regenerative ways of working as well and we're learning from them there's a lot of i catch up with um why wanaka for example and i know you've interviewed mandy we catch up all the time and work on a bunch of different projects that are are just good for our community and places that we live in and looking at how we can utilize our various industries to deliver on that so for example waterways and monitoring of waterways there's there's something that an idea that we're working on which could create a gamified augmented technology where visitors can go throughout our district and look at um, as they go past a, a certain place they'll be walking on a track there might be a um, an avatar will come up and tell them where they are but also what to look for in that area and 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 report back on how many how many tuna can you see in the river uh, can you can you see um watercress does it look healthy is it um is it thriving and while you're there if you look to your left there are some trees that have just been planted by our community would you mind grabbing those water bottles and and water them as you're walking past and um, there's all sorts of different ideas of how we can work together and the the waterways thing is obviously a big a big topic for agriculture as well. So we're, you know, another concept is looking at how can we, there's a lot of work being done about carbon sequestration. Rather than, um, you know, one of the negative spin-offs of that is that vast tracts of good um, fertile agricultural land that produces our food is being turned into pine trees um, because there's more money in it for carbon. And it's great that we've got trees growing and they're sequestering carbon, but wouldn't it be greater if there was the, the same incentive to plant native trees and protect waterways and plant places of high erosion? And therefore, if we can do that and have businesses who are minimizing carbon as much as possible, but what they can't eliminate, if they're paying to offset it, why doesn't that money, why don't we utilize that money to plant locally? so that the visitors can come and see what our local businesses are doing to benefit the place. Maybe they'll want to contribute to that and be a part of it as well. I really appreciated hearing how you are thinking outside of silos, right? Very often in tourism, we get really stuck in our silos. Mm -hmm. And so you really talked about um, thinking, really recognizing you're part of larger ecosystems and all of the different sectors and industries that you're involved with. And where's the, where's the mutually beneficial um, value that you can add to each other's systems and to that ecosystem that you're part of. Mm. So that was, uh, thanks for sharing that. And I, and I love the innovation piece that's coming in there too with technology. So it just shows the potential, I think, when you think outside of your own silo and your own business or your own, um, your own little, you know, echo chamber. Yeah. The potential of, of innovation and new ideas that, that can come up when you start, um, looking at that mutually beneficial those relationships that that's right and you know that a district like ours we really need to innovate um, and 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 diversify our economy which will be good for tourism because it'll take the pressure off but it will also create a whole bunch of other innovations and and things that people will be interested to come and see and learn and you know that that will attract them um, so we can we can help tell the stories of those innovations to our visitors, but also locally. So that, yeah, there's lots of exciting, really exciting stuff that we're working on, but it's, it's a pretty cool journey.
So are you hopeful, Tim, for a regenerative future for tourism in New Zealand? And, and what's the capability that needs to be developed in our sector to really enable that? Yeah, I'm, I'm more than hopeful. I, I think we have to do it. It's for several reasons, not least of which being we've gone out to our communities, asked them what they want, and now we've made a commitment that we're going to do our damnedest to try and deliver that. Um, and it, it's, I'm, one of my biggest fears for the tourism industry is if we don't get this right, we won't have an industry that's viable in, into the future. Because if we're damaging the resources and the things that, you know, in our, our own ecosystems, in our own place, that we really heavily rely on, to be able to run our industry if our community doesn't want to see visitors and is, is very anti, you know, tourism businesses, it's going to be really, really, uh, a really big struggle to operate in that kind of environment. And it, it can only get worse, not better. So we've got this opportunity now to change things. And in answer to the second part of that question, the main, the biggest things people, the desire for, for, what we're talking about is really, really strong. There are a lot of businesses um, in our area, it's the majority of businesses by far, that are really keen to see this happen. So the biggest things that they're struggling with is how do I get involved? How do I, what do I do? What can I do that will make a difference? Um, and especially right now, what can I do that isn't going to cost me lots of money because I just don't have the revenue? And it's not about the money. It's about all of us getting together and there are already a lot of really positive initiatives out there. So it's joining up with those ones and giving them the support they need to actually drive things forward. So, for example, we have a local um, community group called Te Kākanon who propagate and grow saplings and, and native plants and trees. Um, then we've got Waiwanaka who... With Jobs for Nature, they help plant those plants in various places that they needed to do the best in the conservation areas or areas that need conservation. I'm, I'm the chairman of our, of the Otago Conservation Board. The reason I put my, my hand up to go on the board is because I can see this great opportunity where industries can help actively regenerate the place, help with conservation and I'm really focused on trying to make it as easy as possible for people to do really good things to help with conservation um, initiatives. And there's also cultural and community initiatives. I mean, Giselle, who, who is our, our marketing and communications manager, I'm sure she won't mind me name dropping her, but she's the chair of the Three Lakes Cultural Trust. So she's doing her work, her, her best to help, um, create and share the, and enable the opportunities for cultural growth um, in, in our area. Matt Woods, who used to be our, you know, my board chairman and is still a business owner here, he's now the CEO of Destination Queenstown. And he told me the reason he did that was because he's on the same journey that I am and he's been involved in that destination management planning and he really wants to make sure that we can get the whole district um, on the way. So it's all of this collaboration. The Wild Summit is another one. You know, Monique and her team, um, you know all about them. So the construction locally, there is a lot of innovation on construction and and um, a lot of some of the local builders want Wanaka to be known as the passive house centre of the universe. 
wouldn't that be cool? There's innovations in, in energy generation. There's a whole lot of things which it's just, there are so many strands, we just need to weave them together through collaboration to be able to make this map that we can all, um, we can all live on and the kete that can carry our population through. wonderful to hear from Tim Bark about the experience of Wanaka and the Queenstown Lakes District Council in developing their destination management plan down in the South Island of New Zealand. And now to give you a different perspective, in the second half of this episode we're going to shift our focus all the way to the other end of the country to Taitukuro Northland where we spoke to Tanya Burt. Tanya is the General Manager Destination for Northland Inc., the RTO or Regional Tourism Organization for the Taitukuro region. Tanya is a self-described true blue Northlander from the Mid-North and has 20 years experience in the hospitality and tourism sectors, including experience in the private sector in sales, marketing and business development. She has been working with the RTO in Taitukuro uh, in development, management and marketing for industry, people and place. We were really thrilled to have Tanya join us and we hope that it will be interesting for you to hear these two different stories, uh, one from Wanaka and one from Northland side by side to hear about some of the similarities and also the differences in the challenges and experiences that the regions have been having throughout this destination management planning process. So before we jump into the interview, we'll hand over to Tanya to introduce herself. Tēnā koutou, ko kapuai te maunga, ko waikare te awa, ko te kapotai te hapu, ko ngāpui nui tonu te iwi, ko Tanya Burt tēnei e mihi atuana. E mihi atuana ki te rangi, e mihi atuana ki te whenua, e mihi ana ki ngā tangata katoa, tihei Modi ora. Kia ora, kia ora Tanya, thank you so much for that and thank you for joining us on the podcast, we're so excited to have you and looking forward to this conversation. Um, we wanted to just start off by by asking you to to describe for us um, a, the destination management planning process that you've been going through in Taitukuro and uh, what what's different about the process that you've gone through this time around as opposed to um, previous planning processes that you've been through in your region. Yeah, that's a great question. I think destination management planning is different to anything we've ever done, <laughs> given that the <laughs> engagement and the involvement is deep and wide. So um, we started in uh, midway through 2020, uh, talking to some potential partners about what destination management planning could look like for the region. And we were lucky enough to align with uh, the um, organisation that brought the country, the Tuia 250 events, um, that's Teo Marie Sister Centennial Trust. They came on as a funding partner to fund the plan as well as a thought partner in the leadership space for destination management. So Northern Inc, Teo Marie Trust, Te Puni Kōkiri and Te Heringa Business Trust and Promotions all came together and signed an MOU in 2020. 
And we decided that the only way we could leave the best legacy for the likes of the Tuya 250 events in Te Aumaria and the partnership that we'd created was to go through a destination management planning process. Um, so destination management plan is was the new term for it, but we had to acknowledge that Māori have been doing destination management for many years and many generations, it's called something quite different. So it really is really natural in Northland to think about the concepts of destination management, to think about looking after your environment, to think about um, managing impacts and sharing benefit, because that's what everything is about up here. So we looked at something very holistic because Northland has its challenges. We have challenges across social equity. We have challenges across um, land use, we have challenges across productivity, challenges across workforce, all sorts of places, but with that huge opportunity. So we focused on the opportunity and the potential and we got out there and we engaged and we engaged, engaged for months. We took destination management plan on the road. So something that hadn't been done before, we had 13 workshops across the region. We started from as far south as Mangafai, which is just north of the Auckland border, and we went up to Takao, which is just south of the very tip of the country. So the idea was we wanted to get into communities and we wanted to talk to everyone who made up those communities as much as we could. So we engaged with um, up to a 4,000 person database. Uh, we didn't hit all 4,000. We would love to have um, in-person engagements through these workshops, really hearing the local issues and opportunities on the ground, what everyone wanted for their region and how tourism and the, the visitor industry as a vehicle could help create the change that they wanted to see. Um, Māori, iwi, hapu, business communities, residents, ratepayers, councils, agencies, we had everyone in the room. Uh, we also had one-on-one -on -one engagements and we created a leadership advisory group to sit across this work, given the idea that engagement may stop and a plan may end up on a page, but we need something to keep taking it forward. So our leadership advisory group um, and the co-design method and co-leadership was very much part of what we did. So our um, co-chairs for the Leadership Advisory Group are Harry Burkhart, who is the chair of our Iwi Leaders Forum up here in the north, and also had sat on Te Puya's board, so had a good wide range of um, views of how things could look for the space. And also we're lucky enough to have Dame Jenny Shipley living in the Bay of Islands and very passionate about her now home turf and for what that could mean for the people and the place. So through a leadership advisory group um, that had representation of Department of Conservation, NZTA, creatives, uh, the creative sector, hapu and iwi involved in tourism, our industry leaders, we started taking a broad range and representing that from engagement every day, leadership level and down to working group level. What we've found is that through that, we are creating a space for all voices to be heard and it makes it more complex, but it makes it more meaningful. Anything we do through the destination management plan now means that we have a wide representation of voice, whereas in the past, it may have been an agency's unite voice. So uh, maybe councils and agencies got together, so very much public sector. Uh, this does have um, that community-led aspiration to it. So while we work as Northern Inc. to facilitate the implementation of this plan that we launched last October, the idea is that we work to adapt this plan to make it responsive to community needs. Very different thought process when you're talking about coming from the public sector. In terms of that process and that community engagement, I think 
I love what you talk about, about taking this DMP on the road and, and truly sort of taking it to the community. And we've, we're talking about on this podcast a lot about tourism's purpose and, you know, what, what is tourism's purpose in a world that, uh, we have all of these challenges and you spoke to some of those that, that you have in the north, um, that are specific to your place. And, and I love how you speak about the, the, tourism as a vehicle to address that vision that the community have. Um, so I guess um, I'd just love to to hear a bit more about what the potential is that you see in working in that way. Like what's what's emerged from from doing doing the work in that way um, that wouldn't have if, if you hadn't um, approached it that uh, in that in that way. So taking engagement out on the road and going to people in their on their home turf means you got a very localized view. So you had to have a look at that. So if you bring everyone into one central space, for instance, we could have brought everyone into our offices and our meeting spaces and said, now let's workshop this, what this destination management thing is. Um, very different because you get people getting out of their comfort space, maybe a little bit taking their local hats off and putting their regional hats on. But when you go to someone's backyard, you very much get backyard feedback, which is exactly what we were looking for. So you got to know the intimate challenges and opportunities for each of those communities. For instance, what we heard in the Bay of Islands is not what we heard in the West Coast and the Hokianga. The opportunity is very different. So in the Bay of Islands, there was a lot of talk. There's a lot of high visitation there, especially through one period, which is the peak season in summer. So there was a lot of talk about how we better connect with Māori in terms of managing our natural assets, how we build infrastructure through our council relationships or our relationships with with the likes of NZTA Waka Kotahi. Um, in the West Coast, it was very much about how do we maintain the place in the way that it is? How do we have the opportunity of, of tourism, but without overrunning the place with visitors? We don't want the level of visitation that Bay of Islands gets, but we want to keep our young people here and employed, and we want to keep the lifestyle that we currently have. So those two things look quite different. So what came out of that is the idea that, well, actually, what we need to do is another layer of planning. So one of the actions we wrote into the plan was that we needed to create four localised destination management plans as one of the priority actions, given the fact that what the Bay of Islands wants and needs looks very different to what the Hokianga wants and needs as examples. So we have the action that we need four more localised planning um, projects around those areas of higher visitation. We call them our traditional icons in Northland, Aotearoa. They start with the Poor Knights um, Marine Reserve down in Tutakaka, the Waipoa Forest, specifically around Tane Mahuta over on the west coast, the um, Te Reringa Wairua, Cape Reinga up in the far north, and of course the Bay of Islands more traditionally around the Hole in the Rock activity. So with those four areas, they're going to need very different styles of engagement and management and very different community wishes. So the main thing that came out of it is when you go to someone's backyard, be prepared to hear the very localized views. But it's all for regional good. So if you make sure you remember that those views do have a regional purpose, then that's the way, an example of how we translated that local feedback into something that will benefit the whole region. 
I think that's so commendable, Tanya, that you've taken it to such a local level. I know that in other conversations I've had with other regions, it is a challenge when you're a bigger region that crosses different areas or, or different local communities. And, you know, we talk on this podcast a lot about the importance of place and that if we are operating in ways that are truly regenerative for our communities, then it has to be what those local communities want. And the interventions have to be specific to those those places. So it sounds like that's what you're doing is really creating those local plans for each area and that they will all contribute value, right, to the to the regional system, the regional over the overarching regional um plan as well. Absolutely. I think you um lots of debate was had as a partnership. Uh, we mentioned those partners that came together under the MOU. We debated every step along the way pre-plan being launched to make sure that we tested and strength tested our approach. And the idea was that the localized view is for regional good and greater good um, was where we landed. Otherwise, you can dilute the good work that you can do for those communities because you can take a regional approach and that may hit some of it, but it's not going to work towards some things like equity, real meaningful change. Um, and we've only just started the journey. I'm not pretending that we've cracked the, the localized planning, um, um, puzzle, but we're, we're definitely starting there and we have some good local champions that have been identified in those areas. That's wonderful. You know, we also talk about regeneration being something that is alive, part of a living system or as, as interwoven, interconnected living systems. So how can this process, like, how do you see that through that lens? Do you see this process as, as adding capacity to the living systems that it, that it operates in? Yeah, we align very much on that. It has to be a living system and it has to work inside a living system. So if you take the, even just the paradigm of planning, uh, we're quite used to in, in our, um, in our business systems of you write a plan and it, it stays that way. And maybe you review that every three to five years, depending on what type of plan it is. Um, the idea was that, and actually initially in the first instance, it was reviewed quite often. Um, and the, keeping the plan as a living document is what is going to keep this um, relevant and what is going to help it adapt. We recognize that a lot of the planning in a lot of the regions, including ours, was done during the height of the pandemic. So um, hearts and minds were in very specific places then, although we were so um, impressed and, and just it was amazing to see people being able to lift their gaze um, beyond what they were seeing um, in their day to day. And that was the importance of it. And that's what gives us the encouragement that this will be living and this can be adaptable because in that moment of crisis, people could still lift their gaze and look forward. So the idea is that the planning and the approach to implementation has to adapt with that. Um, we have committed to a 12-month to 18-month cycle of that review um, through our leadership and working groups. Um, we're actually just heading towards the 12-month anniversary of the plan being released, um, and we've already had some great feedback and ideas of where we could take a next iteration. I love that, like the the plan itself being being alive, but also in in the way that you've approached it, it's it's adding value to these living systems of the communities at that really local level, as well as the wider whole system of your region and and the and the people and and also the the non human ecosystem of that place as well. Um, 
yeah, that's really beautiful how you speak to that. Yeah, yes, um, it has it has to do that. You may have noted in my mahi, my mahi is not just to people and not just about me, but it is an acknowledgement to our environment and the fact that we are all one. Without one, we have don't have the other. So that's how destination management has to work. I, yeah, couldn't agree more. And I, I think you said right at the start of um, as well that this destination management planning might be uh, new in some ways to the to in this particular form, but that Maori have been have been doing this this work of of managing destinations for want of a better a better phrase um, for for many generations before this. So it's bringing some of that aliveness and recognition of those ecosystems um, like you shared in your in your mahi as well yes absolutely we wanted to ask you about about measurement a little bit because this is sort of one of the one of the things that we're hearing uh, has been a challenge throughout this destination management planning process across the motu and that you know how do we how do we measure thriving or how do we measure a, a regenerative way of working and um, so we'd love to hear about how how you've approached this in your region in terms of how to measure the outputs of these destination management plans and and what kinds of indicators that you are using uh, to to think about the success of them? Yeah, such a good question and so relevant to the industry as a whole right now. Um, we hear about uh, Tourism New Zealand's aspirations to find better measurements for our industry's value and contribution that cross over the four well-being, so environment, um, social, economic, and cultural. So at the moment, we're very good at measuring uh, that basic data of uh, visitor spend and things like guest nights. Um, we need to get richer and deeper measurement. So we don't have really an answer to that, but we have written in a couple of actions to our plan that will help us start to evolve that. So surveys of um, communities and surveys of businesses, something we haven't done regularly before. So measuring sentiment will be really important. Um, and I think that's what destination management is and sentiment towards the industry is an important piece of that um, measurement. Thriving communities is a great thing to think about because thriving community indicators come through livelihoods. It's one thing that's easy to measure. So in Northland, we do often look to Ministry of Social Development's data. So we look to employment or job seeker support um, data, and we do measure our success based on some of that, because that, if you can get your income and you have your livelihood, then your the thriving will come from that. Um, but there is certainly scope to actually work with our communities and what they think thriving looks like. That's another thing we could do. Um, yeah, we don't have the answer to that, but it needs to be explored and it is topical for the whole country. Um, probably the whole world in some respects. Yeah, that's so totally true. We're hearing this, um, internationally as well, that people are trying to, you know, think about this new tourism in a way that's more aligned with life, that's more focused on, on the wellbeing of our communities. But then there's still this, this necessity of, of being able to show success for things like funding and, um, and proving that this is a good model. So it's quite a, it's quite a challenge, but I think that, um, you're onto something there in terms of, asking the community what they think, how they think we should think about thriving. Yeah. And some of the latest conversations with our leadership advisory group have pointed to um, that we may not be able to create those successful measurement uh, 
processes without going to that more localized planning level because we're still staying up in the regional level so really our communities going to be able to see destination management in their backyards to a large enough scale in order to be able to measure it so that is some of the conversation we're having at a leadership group level saying well actually is the next layer needed to be achieved before we can go out and do that otherwise we may just still be in danger of sitting in that space where the feedback is too general um, and and maybe we haven't had an opportunity to to engage to the level that we need to before we start measuring. So timing is everything as well. So are you hopeful for a, a regenerative future for tourism in New Zealand, Tanya? Oh, I'm always hopeful. <laughs> um, you have to be. If you're not hopeful, Think about how to leave the industry. That would be what I would say. Because if you don't think your industry is going to work towards um, a great uh, phrase that I heard last week from Trent Yo, one of our um, industry leaders from Queenstown, uh, we were at an RTO Wananga down in Invercargill, and he used the phrase, how can tourism provide net good? If you don't believe that your industry can provide net good or work towards it, then suggest finding an industry that will because it is really important that we all work towards net good it doesn't matter what sector you're in because that's what the world needs of us right now so i am always hopeful I'm sure you can hear that <laughs> my answers um mm -hmm. but with the way we evolve how we work in our region and involving our communities i i do believe we can get to a place that will provide that net good because we are getting down to a level of um how do we work again, using tourism industry as a vehicle for change. What capability do you think needs to be developed for us to, for tourism to be providing net good? Yeah, that's a great question. Because if you think about the tourism system and the many players within it, there is a lot of capability required. So as uh, regional tourism organizations, uh, we see it all the time in businesses. Businesses need to understand. They don't understand the carbon measurement system, let alone how they then take that measurement and improve it. So there is a lot of work that needs to be done to support businesses and, and um, organizations in one, understanding their contribution to the impact on, I'm just using the environment as an example, um, and then to how to mitigate or reduce that. So there is a lot of education required and support. Some of these things that businesses have to do, well, businesses have ideas of what they want to do, but they don't have the funding to adapt. So we've had some great businesses come to us and say, is there funding available for us to do this, to transition to this, because it will really help. Um, us transition to net good and there isn't that available. So there does need to be a system throughout tourism where there is education support that does need investment. Um, this stuff doesn't just happen because everyone understands that they need to do better. <laughs> they need the support in order to do better. We haven't seen a lack of willingness to do better. We have seen either a lack of um, resource and resource. Um, one of the big things there is time as well. Um, so again, just needing to work on lifting gaze, the gaze towards uh, creating that change. Another thing that would really help is how we align our whole tourism system. So we have uh, Tourism New Zealand in one space. We have regional tourism organisations very much deep in a destination management space. We have businesses maybe in another space. How do we bring everyone together? 
How do we make sure that we align in this work? Because until we align and bring up together through a central focus point, we're not going to do as much good as we want to, and we won't be able to leverage each other's activity. So that is one thing that I'm big on is alignment. Um, you may not always agree on what needs to be done, but if you can agree how it needs to be done or align with what you're trying to achieve, then I think we'll get there. So some alignment and some support is what we need to do. So keeping things local, but that national uh, infrastructure and support to allow that local implementation. Yes, absolutely. So we in Northland and Taitokino, it's really important that we um, go community led. We say regionally led, centrally supported. So that's how we want to operate. We want to make sure that we're so joined up that we can be authors of our own destiny, but we need to hold hands and get that support from elsewhere as well. I just wanted to say that I think with that that comment around, you know, if your industry is not not contributing net good, you need to figure out how it can or find a new industry sort of thing. I, I think that that really gets to the core of this sort of extended conversation that we're having with this podcast, because like I said, we're asking this question of what what is tourism's purpose and specifically what is tourism's purpose in a VUCA world, which based on the premise that we do live in a world that we have a climate crisis and a biodiversity crisis and, and the social injustice that we see as well. And, and so what is tourism's purpose in that world? I think that, um, yeah, I just really appreciated that, that comment because that's, I think that's something we all need to remember, um, that it has to, it has to contribute net good, right? Yes. I think it's not a question of if. It's simply a question of when we must, we must work towards this. The pandemic has distracted us and for good reason for a while. We need to get back, um, back on the path. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Anything that we haven't asked you, Tanya, that you would like to add or, or any final sort of, um, thoughts? Just from the destination management planning, um, topic specifically, just the encouragement to anyone that, um, People need to be bold and have uncomfortable conversations in order to do this properly. There's nothing about this topic that is easy. And so people just need to get involved. And whether that means you're the person getting involved in the planning stage or you're um, contributing to what might be in that plan or you want to get involved in making a change in your own backyard, be bold and brave and get involved because it's what we need to do. Um, and don't forget all of the parts of your communities through the process as well. So it's really important um, that Māori, Iwi, Hapu, residents, ratepayers, your great little organisations doing good stuff on the ground out there, come alongside um, your agencies and, and organisations and central government in order to come together and do the best you can. Um, it's a It's a game for all players so invite everyone in and um, do it together not easy but so worth it we're just we, we're just starting the journey and um it's yeah takes a lot of uh takes a lot of energy but what we realize really early on is that you have to do it in a way that relates to your region um you just there is no cookie cutter approach otherwise you'll just be completely irrelevant for the people and the place that you're trying to make change for and that's just yeah there's no point in that one
Well, there was so much richness in both of those conversations, Josie, that um, I'm pretty excited to be reflecting on them and and thinking about the real tangible way that both Tim and Tanya spoke to the tangible actions that they've taken uh, as part of this planning process. I think for our international listeners, it's important to note that they are quite different in terms of scale, uh, of size. So Wanaka is a town uh, and is part of the Queenstown Lakes District region. Uh, so when Tim's speaking, he's really talking about the work they've done in Wanaka. Tanya, on the other hand, uh, is overseeing Northland, which is a huge area by comparison that does range from north of Auckland all the way up to the very top of the North Island. So it's important to note that both of those areas are, are quite different in terms of scale. Mm. And also on, on that, the, that Wanaka has been working in collaboration with the Queenstown Lakes District Council, as well as Destination Queenstown in developing their destination management plan. So the plan that they've developed um, for Wanaka actually covers covers a, a larger region, but um, Tim's speaking mostly, he's speaking specifically to the work that they've been doing in Wanaka. Yeah, so I loved how both Tim and Tanya spoke to community engagement and uh, the importance of place, right? So, so Tim spoke to the fact that they'd already been through this process before the funding came down from the Ministry for the Destination Management process. In Wanaka, they'd already started to engage the community around these questions of place and really tapping into into a feeling of what this place is. Who do we want this place to become? And from a multi-generational perspective as well, what is it that we want our great-great-grandchildren or future generations to enjoy about this place? And what questions would they be asking? So it's it's an atypical approach, I think, to destination management planning. It's very it's a very regenerative approach to think long-term and, and across multi-generations. Um, but it's not necessarily typical to destination management planning, I don't think. Yeah, and I, I've, I think we've we've talked about these questions uh, on the podcast before about what do you love about this place and how can tourism help to contribute to to the vision of this place thriving? And I really felt that in the way that Tim was talking about the questions that they were asking their community. The questions weren't really about tourism; they were about Wanaka and about the place. And then it was, and then it was a reflection on how can tourism help to serve that vision that the community has put forth. And I think that's really, really beautiful. And like you say, not not a typical approach to to tourism and in, even to uh, community engagement in relation to tourism. I think Tim sort of spoke about how they really thought about this as flipping the process of destination management on its head. So rather than creating a plan and then taking it out to the community to get feedback or or sort of contributions, it was going out to the community first and and developing it, co-creating this plan with the community as well as the business community and the tourism industry all together um, so it was focused on that that potential that existed within those people's aspirations for their place as opposed to the problems that exist with tourism and how could we solve them, that kind of um, shift. Yeah, and, and Tanya spoke to the same thing, right, that they really took engagement on the road, and that was that was really impressive to me as well, that she said we could have easily had people come into our central office, but they understood that the level of engagement would have been completely different 
than what they did do, which was go out to all of the smaller local areas and really engage on that level in their places. And she commented that that she knew that they got a different response because of that, a more meaningful response where people could really feel comfortable sharing what they wanted uh, from tourism in their places, what it meant for them. So there's a lot of relationship building that's gone on, I think, in both of these regions um, because of this process. And the other piece that I thought was interesting where Tim had mentioned was that it, you know, and we've spoken to this too, that that the agencies are no longer, the the RTOs are no longer just marketing organizations. They're, they're really management organizations now. But that process of understanding what the communities want enables them to be very authentic in the storytelling when they are marketing. Mm-hmm and helps yeah. them really invite the right kind of visitor that is going to align with the community values. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to think about for these organizations that have traditionally been marketing organizations, as we've spoken about, to kind of step back and take this regenerative sort of development approach and then the benefit that that can have to their marketing. That's, um, that's a really interesting observation. They both spoke to the fact that by engaging this way as well, it was quite a shift from just engaging traditionally uh, industry leaders or agencies. Um, but they really got from the top level, sort of more in a vertical approach all the way through to local stakeholders and residents. Um, and they both commented that that was very different than what they'd done historically too. Again, far more meaningful, genuine community engagement. Yeah. So really commendable. Yeah. I, I think, um, we threw in a bit of a difficult question to these both of these interviews, which uh, both Tanya and Tim handled with with a lot of grace. But you know, we, we threw in this question about what, how can a destination management plan be alive? Because if for something to be regenerative, it has to be alive. That's our understanding of of regenerative thinking and of regenerative practice. That that regeneration is only present in in a living system. So we asked them, you know, if you're talking about these plans being regenerative or this process being regenerative, how how can that be alive? How is that a living system? <laughs> and I really loved their responses. They they did a really great yeah, um, job of, of communicating that. I mean, Tanya spoke about it has to be continuously evolving. I think that was that that was the main point that she was making that it has to be alive so that it can continuously evolve and continue the community can continue to to work with and around this plan in a way that continues to feel nourishing and that uh, contributes to their thriving over time and then Tim talked about this sort of idea of regeneration is about helping living systems to thrive so if we can utilize an industry in a way that helps a living system to thrive, then we're doing the right thing. And I thought that was, you know, that kind of like tied back to what we've been talking about on this podcast about what's tourism's purpose and and how can tourism contribute to, to this sort of bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. They both, they, they both um, really gave us insights. I think there about how, how it can be not just a theoretical question, but actually how they're carrying it out in practice, that it is that deep engagement that's continually evolving and and tourism is serving a purpose of adding to not only the community, but the industries that, that, that they're interfacing with as well. 
The other piece that I that I thought was interesting when Tim talked about um, that there's really their role is as sort of weaving the threads together or the strands together, and there's so much good work that's already happening. Uh, there's there's so much that's already in place in terms of uh, he talked about conservation efforts, planting trees, all sorts of different things, the waterways, and so the RTO's role really is a facilitator that's sort of connecting all of those. Uh, pieces and helping to, I mean, he's talked about, you know, knowing what's going on where and helping to connect the docks and bring people together. Yeah, he talked about the sort of strands and weaving them together into a single kite, which is a, a flax uh, woven basket, and and how sort of the RTO's role might be to to sort of weave those pieces together. But also he talked about the storytelling part of that as well, right? Like tourism's um tourism's role as telling the stories of all of these wonderful and interesting things that are happening within the community and to to sort of yeah, be in that role of sharing the sharing those aspects of the community. I think one of the the things that I'm gonna take away from this from this episode is is this idea that both Tim and, and Tanya spoke to of the imperative to do this work. They both, you know, we asked them, um, are you hopeful? And both of their responses to that were, yes, I'm hopeful, but it's more than that. It's about there's no, there is no other way to move forward, that this is this is what we have to be doing and that um, it's not a, you know, Tanya said it's not a question of, of when it's a question of, of we must, we must move towards this and we have to get onto this path. And, and Tim, Tim spoke to like, if we don't do this, then what is the future for our industry? And it won't be, it won't be viable. And so I I really appreciated that they didn't shy away from, from that imperative. And you can see that in their leadership in both these regions, but you know, it sort of ties back to the theme of this, season of the podcast and thinking about tourism's purpose in a VUCA world and you know people like like Tanya and Tim leading some of our destinations uh, into this new way of thinking gives me a lot of hope in terms of that that imperative to do things differently yeah me too Josie and I think you know I'm reflecting on other conversations you and I've had recently where people have said that executives or leaders in tourism aren't really wanting to do this. Um, and while that may be the case in some places, I feel really hopeful that we have got here in New Zealand many leaders, including Tim and Tanya, who are taking this action because they know it's the imperative that, that we have to do this. And so it's, it is really hopeful. Um, and I'm really thrilled that we can bring their stories. Hopefully it's inspiring for other leaders too. Yeah. So we just want to thank both Tim Bark and Tanya Burt so much for joining us on the podcast. It's so valuable to hear their stories and and we're sure that that listeners will will get a lot from from hearing these examples of of truly innovative approaches going on in a couple of regions in New Zealand and um, and we just feel very proud to be able to to share their stories. So thank you so much to to Tanya and Tim. So listeners, if you're feeling inspired by the work that's happening in New Zealand, then we would love you to join us on our Good Awaits 
a regenerative tourism experience that's happening in March into April 2023. We are visiting some of the people that you've heard on the podcast this season. Uh, we are exploring what regeneration looks like in each of the places that we're visiting. And it's an opportunity to really understand and experience what these principles are in practice, as well as have an amazing time. So we'd love to have you join us. We'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Good Awaits. And again to Tanya and Tim for joining us on the podcast. If you want to keep up with us, you can subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app. Uh, and if you would like to leave us a review, we'd really appreciate your feedback. The podcast is hosted and produced by the two of us, uh, Debbie Clark and Josie Major. And our audio production is by Clary Macklin. Thanks again for listening to Good Awaits. It's great to have you join us on this journey. Mm-hmm.